Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and as always, I'm here with Mark Croswell. By way of introduction for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis security and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Mark, as always, it's great to have you with us. For those that haven't read your latest blog post on the allegorical life, can you explain this idea of a sacred space? Certainly, Jordan. So, so a sacred, sacred space is a, a, anywhere where you feel um, very com- not, not only very comfortable to be yourself, but to tap into those energies around you or to um, really open up your mind and your heart for that matter to being very, very present um, to the circumstances around you. So they they can be quite simple. Um, When when I was going through um, some fairly serious treatments, I think I spoke about this in a previous blog around my health, um, I'd jump on my push bike and ride to the river and, and as long as I was by the river, I, I could find a sense of peace and happiness and, uh, and reflect and um, just try and understand what was happening in life and why it was happening and, again, a very, very sacred time and a very, very sacred place. And I would make time for it, so it didn't matter how busy the day was and how many demands were placed upon my day, uh, I'd go down to the river and just reflect on everything that was happening, really. And... Um, and I think any sacred space is a place where you can just be yourself, but something happens. So there's an evocation of joy, of happiness, of knowing, of peace, irrespective of what's happening around you or what's happening to you or what's happening for you, as I would often say. Um, you can just be. As a bit of an aside, I was I was um, uh, speaking up at, uh, in Sydney uh, last Tuesday at a, on a national course and I had to get a taxi back to the airport at six o'clock the next morning. So we, we'd left at 6am and we're heading to the airport and we were driving down the hill and um, a young girl ran straight in front of the car, um, not realising we were coming down the street. And the reason she did that was she had earphones in her ears listening to music as she was jogging. And, and, I, and I've seen this more than once. I saw it, in fact, I saw it three times last week where people had stepped onto the road without full, full, full awareness or full consciousness of what they were doing. What's that got to do with sacred space? Well, what it says is that they're desperately trying to find a space in which they can be themselves, but they haven't made the time to step out of life to discover it. So they're trying to incorporate it in the pace of life or in the tempo of life. And, and that's not how you do it. <laughs> so, so, it, so you have to take time out. So you've got to stop. You've got to catch your breath and find a quiet corner or, or find a vista or find a, find a, a, a pleasant room or a, a, even a cafe, really. It doesn't matter, but, you know, where, where is it that you can stop and reflect? So there's a bit of a stepping down process, isn't there, from that space of being intensely busy to a place of being able to uh, allow that sacred space and time to just arrive. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, if we don't stop and make the time, then life consumes us. You know, I said in the blog that we 
live in a society that's very much akin to a juggernaut. And, um, you know, the juggernaut was the Hindu god of the universe, lord of the universe, and essentially implied, you know, in control of everything. And we were part of, you know, being under that control. Um, look, Western society and, and um, the, you know, communities for which we live are, are very much geared that way towards towards being like a juggernaut where, you know, we participate um, in society. You know, there, there are many benefits, of course, and, and uh, we should actively participate. That's part of being human. It's part of living in community. But it, it moves at such a pace and, and, it, and it imposes so many demands uh, on people um, that I think they're desperate sometimes just to find that little bit of peace. You're listening to the Allegorical Life podcast. Mark, do you remember where your first sacred space was? I think I probably found my first sacred space um, when um, when I was diagnosed. I think with uh, with my condition, um, amongst other matters, having to face mortality, and so just so, so overwhelming, so contextually different, uh, so not what I had planned for, what I had desired or or wished for, uh, yet had to deal with. So if I didn't take time out to process that. Over time, I think it would have completely overwhelmed me. Not that it wasn't overwhelming already, of course, but I think it would have been even more so. Um, so, look, I think sometimes uh, life sort of wakes us up and if we don't find these spaces, then I think there's enough complexity that turns up that kind of forces us to, you know, to need to seek them out. Um, uh, some people talk about this, I think, you know, some some uh, some organisations, some, some work practices um, sort of do, do encourage people to, you know, I think they call them mental health days, which in themselves are kind of pointing in the right direction. But for some people, a mental health day is to go shopping and drink lots of coffee. And, um, you know, you can do that anytime, really. I think I think if we're going to get serious about a mental health day, you know, or maybe we should call it a spiritual health day, um, then it really is about taking the time to go and find a quiet corner and, and just contemplate and reflect. So, um, and look, I mentioned in my blog, Joseph Campbell, you know, he was a, a, a profound um, comparative mythologist and and for him, a sacred space was, a, you know, a, a quiet room with a desk and his books and the capacity to write or the, sorry, the opportunity to write. And um, as long as he could find that desk and had his books with him and, and pencil and paper or pen and paper, he was happy and he could just sit there and write his thoughts or write about what he'd learned or write about what he thought. And um, and that was a very big part of his day or a very big part of his week. So it's it, it ought not be complex. In fact, if it's complex, it's not sacred. Um, I, th- I think part of the sacredness is in the simplicity. Um, but it will speak to you in a way that's very hard to articulate or to describe. Um, and, and it will sort of elevate you above anything that you can really rationalise or reason with. Um, and you'll just feel a sense of happiness and joy and you'll be very pleased to be in that space um, and it will come and it will go. You know, it turns up, um, enjoy it while you have it and then it kind of passes because it needs to because we've got to re-engage back in life. I mean, you got told the story in the blog about the Buddhist monk who, you know, sat in the cave for five years and meditated to, to reach enlightenment and um, thought he'd achieved that and walked back to the village and had a dog cross his path and he got very angry about that and realised that he'd achieved almost nothing in five years. Um the, the kind of the, the moral to the parable of the story is that, um, you know, navigating through life's complexity is part of reaching your peace, peaceful soul. You can't disconnect from life in order to do that. So sacred spaces give you a chance to have a rest, to, to, to connect, 
um, to, you know, to regroup, to reshape, to rethink, just to be really, and then step back into the world. And and that makes a difference. It gives it, you know, you find a little bit of wisdom and uh, you find a little bit of peace in your mind and that, that helps you to navigate this very, very complex and increasingly sophisticated world that we all now live in. Now, Mark, you've also written recently uh, about the need for self-compassion. What do you see as the connection between self-compassion and sacred spaces? I think um, a lot of people won't sit still or won't go and sit quietly and reflect because they're afraid of what will turn up in their mind. And I have a good friend of mine who said to me that, you know, even to get to sleep, she has to, um, to put the talkback radio on late at night as a distraction to send her to sleep because what's going on inside her mind is so busy and, and, and in some respects, uh, so critical or self-critical that uh, it keeps her awake. And, um, and she's a very busy person and, you know, she's got a lot of pressures in her life and so she hasn't really been able to sort of step back and wind down. I think um, so self-compassion is about saying, look, no, nobody deserves their suffering, uh, you know, not, not ourselves, not anybody else. So, uh, but we are the causes, of course, by how we sort of um, unfortunately unskillfully navigate our lives, uh, but we don't deserve it. So, so a sacred space is for some people is quite confronting because they've got to sit quietly with themselves so I would say to anyone who's in that position, look, you've got to open your mind up and find a quiet space and start to um, start to go easy on yourself, of course, but start to sort of let go, you know, um, and try and understand why do you think the way you do, uh, what what have the experiences in life, what have they taught you? It'll be about your virtue. Uh, it'll be about your wisdom. Uh, it'll be about those things that, that are inherently innate in the human mind but need to be discovered. So... So part of that self-compassion is sort of saying, look, go easy on yourself. If you find that quiet space and you sit down and your mind is full of stuff, then that's probably okay. It just means you've got to start navigating through it. But if you keep ignoring it, if we keep ignoring it and never addressing it, we just completely overwhelm ourselves. So self-compassion is important because if, if we can't be compassionate with self, it's not possible to be compassionate towards others. Um you know, the whole point of compassion is, is the removal or the cessation of suffering. And um, and that has to be done in equal measure between ourselves and others. We, we just can't apply that to everybody else and not ourselves because we'll drive ourselves into the ground. Um, Seren Kierkegaard said that, you know, life was not a problem to be solved. It was an experience to be had. Um, and I think that's really true. Whatever, whatever turns up is part of your life experience and ultimately what do you make it, so... But at the end of the day, the sacred space is about saying, look, take a break, catch your breath, tap into who are you really, don't be afraid to contemplate those things that preoccupy your mind, put a bit of distance between you and the thought, have a look at it and ask yourself the question, what's the lesson here? What's it trying to teach? What is it trying to say? And give yourself permission to look at it without judgment um, and, and you'll start to find the answers to your life. And I think that's what sacred spaces do. They kind of help you to very, very quietly and gently start to interpret what it is you're actually most passionate about and what did you really come here to do. Mm, I like the idea that life is a problem to be solved because it can be quite overwhelming, can't it? Having to think that you need to solve everything in the world and in your own life as well. Uh, just the idea of having to experience it and get something out of it uh, is a little bit easier to come to terms with. There's another uh, a great um, metaphysicist, I, I can't remember his name, but you know he made the observation that we are not things, we are happenings. 
we are we are events in our own right. So so we are constantly changing, unfolding, learning, and experiencing, and that is happening every moment of every day, of every month, of every year. So part of our mind fixes the world and says, no, the world is fixed and permanent and needs to be solved. Um, that's okay on one level because our society is structured that way. But in sacred space, in that, that other part of mind, none of that is true. It is all, in fact, it lacks any inherent existence whatsoever and lacks any sense of permanency or fixed state. And so sacred space takes you into that world um, that sort of lightens up or, or takes the pressure off having to solve everything. It takes the pressure off having to understand everything and just lets you be in the flow of your life and in the course of your life. And if, if we do it enough, and it certainly happened to me, I, I came to realise, one, that all my previous experiences had given me great skills in which to navigate life, even the hard, the hard experiences, the adversities that I either had experienced myself or had witnessed through the course of my career, had sort of given me great skills and understanding about the complexities of life, such that when those you know, perceived problems turned up, they were not so much problems anymore, but they're just another thing to be experienced. You're listening to the Allegorical Life Podcast. Now, most people are probably pretty comfortable with the idea of a happy place, but what's the difference between a happy place and a sacred space? Um, so it depends on the definition of happiness. So, um, so the happiness I speak to is is not something that is easy to put words to. So, so a Buddhist would use the word as happiness in a profound way, not in a conventional way. So, so um, this morning I went into town uh, to do a bit of shopping, um, sat down, had a coffee at, at our favourite coffee shop, and found a little bit of happiness in a really nice coffee. And and that's not the happiness I'm talking about. <laughs> And, and and that happiness is fine. It's, it, they're good things to do. I would never I would never deny anyone the opportunity to find what what we would say is a conventional happiness. So, you know, life's full of that, so it should be. Uh, the happiness I'm talking about takes us to another level, um, which is, as I've said many times, is sort of beyond words, shapes, forms, sounds, or colours. Um, and it's it's a it's a it's a presence or it's a an aspect of mind that just finds its peace in a profound way. And, you know, as the Buddhists say and the Hindus say and much of Eastern uh, religions or philosophy say that, you know, the the mind when it's allowed to be so is inherently happy and peaceful if it's allowed to be that way. Um, But we never give it a chance to be that way, Uh, particularly, and I I always make the the differentiation between Eastern and Western philosophies. The societies are different. They're all blended now. So we're, we live in a global society, a global market, and a global community. So, so even in Eastern countries, it's very difficult to find, uh, you know, find these practices in a puristic sense. But, but the mind is, if you let it be, is is blissfully happy and peaceful. If you prepare to let it be that way, um, most of us won't give it a chance. And so, if you give it a chance. And let that rise. Um, let let all, all the other distractions dissipate and and float away. You'll discover this incredibly peaceful, joyful place of mind that is not available to us permanently at this stage in the course of our global collective karma, if I could put it that way. Um, but is still accessible in a temporary way. That's your sacred space will give you that. It'll just give you a little hint as to what that possibility is like. 
Mark, what do you think happens when we can't access our sacred spaces? And for you, how do you feel if you don't get time to be in that space? So for me personally, um, I, I don't sleep so well. You know, my stress levels rise up um, um, all, all within um, uh, boundaries, of course. Um, you know, anxieties of life um, tend to rise or increase. Um, uh, the aversions of mine tend to turn up. So, you know, frustrations and, and dissatisfactions and impatience and all those sort of things that really really disturb the peaceful nature of mine, they, they all turn up if, uh, if I don't take time out um, you know, during the week and on weekends, just to be present um, in a quiet, quiet place in the house or a quiet place on the property. Um, and once you get a taste of what it's like to have a peaceful mind and a mind that's fundamentally happy at, at, at peace with, with the, you know, the present circumstances for which it finds itself, um, it's a really nice place to go back and visit. So, so what I miss more than anything, Jordan, is, is not having that experience. I think that's the greatest suffering. So apart from the aversions that rise up in mind uh, by not, not um, taking the time to sit in that space, I think, I think the most disappointing thing is that I don't get to enjoy that sensation or that feeling or that experience of, of being just blissfully happy in, in a very, very quiet place. And, um, and so that's the motivation to go back to it. Yeah, so it's not, not so much about the sufferings arise during the week. That's part of navigating life. Um, the, the greater disappointment or suffering is not, not being able to go and enjoy that very, very pleasant, quiet, peaceful place. So um, so I'd say to anybody, um, give yourself permission to do that. To Even if you've got lots of kids and a busy house uh, busy house or a busy life or a busy job, you know, we are the, the authors of our stories and the architects of our life. We, you know, we are in control. We do get to choose. We just have to prioritise and um, I think if people sort of put a bit more effort into prioritising where that place is that's important to them um, and made, made the effort to go and be in that space or that place and enjoy the presence of mind, I think that'd be much better for the experience. So the suffering rises, Jordan, in the absence of that experience. Uh, everything else that rises up is just really about the experience of life and, you know, we'll have to navigate that. Thanks for joining us today on the Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon.